guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing so good. My little baby nephew was born yesterday and yesterday to the day that we're recording, not the day that this comes out. So I'm so excited. I have a little baby nephew. It's my first one. That's so exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited. So I can't wait to go see my family and have a few days off. Well, not really off away from my house off of doing house chores and laundry and all that stuff. So at least not my own. I'll probably yeah, I was going to say for my sister. you're going to be helping. So <laughs> yeah. So we're going to jump right into the case this week. We don't really have any announcements to speak of. And we actually have a really interesting story this week with some twists and turns and a little bit of confusion on who done it. So we're going to get right into it. Mackenzie Cowell was born on March 31st, 1992. She had a love for life, makeup, and all other things girly. She especially had a love of dancing, and in high school, she found great joy in being part of the Appalette Dance Troupe. Her family said Mackenzie loved to dance and would really dance anytime and anywhere she had the chance. As a child, Mackenzie's parents separated, and Mackenzie primarily lived with her father, Reed, her stepmother, Sandy, and her two older and very protective brothers. Mackenzie's mother went on to marry a man that Mackenzie was not very fond of, and though she loved her mom, this unfortunately put a strain on their mother-daughter relationship. Mackenzie's dad described her as being very ambitious and bright, and along with dancing, Mackenzie also dabbled in modeling. As she grew up, she also loved doing hair and makeup, so while she was still in high school, Mackenzie made the decision to attend the Academy of Hair Design in Wenatchee, Washington. And before we get into the rest of the story, we're going to tell you about Wenatchee, Washington in this week's segment of We Googled This City. Wenatchee is located right in the middle of Washington state and as of the 2010 census has a population of around 32,000 residents. The name Wenatchee is derived from the Native American word Wenatchee. Well, that's basically the same, but it's spelled a little bit different, which means (laughs) river flowing from a canyon. Wenatchee is probably most famous for their apple orchards. While Wenatchee may only have around 30,000 residents, when the Apple Blossom Festival takes place every year, it increases the population by bringing approximately 100,000 more people to the town over the two-week-long celebration. Oh, wow. Yeah, more than, oh gosh, I don't want to guess, triples, quadruples, that's a lot of people. There's a ton of people there. In 1944, there was a crash on a nearby mountain of a B-24 Liberator heavy bomber. You know, I know exactly what that is. It's a plane of some sort is what I'm gathering from this information. And wreckage is actually still visible from the upper slopes today. A wing from the plane was actually removed from the hillside and can be seen at the popular Mission Ridge Ski Resort. Does that make you feel better to see a piece of the plane somewhere that you've probably flown to to go skiing? Or do you feel a little worse to see a wing <laughs> just sitting out there? Me personally? <laughs> I never quite understood that. I remember we had like a, a mini golf place and they had a wing of a plane there. Like it had crashed. And I was like, um, I don't. They actually took it down after 9-11 because apparently everybody was like, this is not a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember seeing some stuff like that where I was like, okay, I guess I guess we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's too worried. So, Mandy, are you familiar with the name Bud Sagendorf? No. M- me neither. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Bud was actually born in Wenatchee in 1915, and he was the writer and artist responsible for creating the Popeye comic. Oh. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. You kind of don't know where these people come from in the nicest way, just like you've know about Popeye, you know about olive oil, but 
where did it all start? And I thought that was kind of interesting. It started with a guy from Wenatchee. And now, Mandy, I have to close this very terrible segment, maybe one of my worst. And if you don't like this week's We Googled This City, I'm sorry. Hold on. Let me see if I can do this. Because I am what I am, and that's all that I am. (laughs) I think I gave Popeye a, like, Massachusetts accent. (laughs) I thoroughly enjoyed that. (laughs) Well, yeah. Anytime I embarrass myself, it's good for everyone else. Okay, keep going. All right. So Mackenzie began taking classes at the Academy of Hair Design while she was still in high school, and she attended the Academy every day from 2 to 5 p.m. On February 9th, 2010, Mackenzie went to the Academy of Hair Design as she did most other days. And during class, she asked a classmate and a friend if she needed to sign out of class if she was just going to leave for 15 minutes and then come right back. Surveillance tapes showed Mackenzie leaving class early and walking to her car. Once she got to her car, she sent a text to her boyfriend, Joaquin Villasano, and just said, hey, which was a normal greeting that she would send to him. And then she was seen driving out of the parking lot. Mackenzie's dad, Reed, called her at around 540 that evening, just wanting to see what time she thought she would be home. And he was immediately worried when the call went straight to voicemail, meaning that her phone wasn't even on. It wasn't just that she was in class or was away from her phone. It was that Her phone was not on or did not have a cell phone signal. Reed said that the messages he left for his daughter went from being just like, I'm concerned to now I'm upset because I can't get a hold of you to, okay, I'm sorry for being so upset, but I am really, really worried about you now. You know, please call me back kind of thing. Around nine o'clock that night, a rancher came across an abandoned car in Pilcher Canyon and notified the police. The car was registered to Reed Cowell. And when the police called Reed, they asked if he was missing a car. And he said, yes, I am, but I'm also missing my daughter who drives it. Reed drove out to where the police said that the car was abandoned, and he realized immediately how dark and desolate the area was, and he knew that Mackenzie would not have been out there willingly on her own accord. As he turned around the last corner, he saw the ominous lights of police cruisers and knew that there must be something very, very wrong. When he pulled in, police said that they found Mackenzie's purse, which was still inside of her car. And her dad had said there was just really no way that she would have, you know, left the car and her purse and, you know, everything inside the car. The family began searching for Mackenzie in surrounding neighborhoods and contacting anyone that she knew. And after four days, Mackenzie's dad received a call from the FBI saying that they were very sorry that they had to give him this terrible information over the phone, but they had found a body and they believed that it was Mackenzie. I have a question about that. Is there a reason that somebody doesn't come to the house to tell you that? Because I feel like a phone call for that is... Yeah, I don't know. and Like I, a local officer to come and tell you about that. That kind of, that really broke my heart for them. I mean, maybe because they didn't have confirmation. Yeah, maybe that's it. They were, yeah, I mean, they were pretty sure that was who it was. But still, I feel like, you're, you're probably right. That makes more sense if they don't know exactly who it is, but oh man, that, that conversation or just having that phone call, I I can't imagine. The body of Mackenzie was found by police along the Columbia river in an area that was actually known as Crescent Bar. Crescent Bar was just 30 miles from her house and about 50 miles away from the Academy of Hair Design. While we won't go into all the details, Mackenzie's murder was incredibly gruesome. 
She was found with duct tape over her mouth and appeared to have been strangled, stabbed, and according to the medical examiner, it actually appeared as though the killer tried to take off her arm because they found a knife still lodged in the tissue near her shoulder. There were no signs of sexual assault, and Mackenzie was actually found wearing the same clothes she had worn every day to the hair academy. While police did not believe her parents were people of interest at all, they, of course, needed to speak to everyone that was close to her to rule out suspects. Police also met with Mackenzie's boyfriend, Joaquin, and they gave him a polygraph test. The police told Joaquin that he actually failed the polygraph test on the question, do you know who killed Mackenzie? Though he denied, of course, having any knowledge of who would kill her. Ultimately, Joaquin had a solid alibi, and the police did not believe he was responsible for her murder. And I didn't get a clear picture if they just said that he failed the polygraph or he actually failed on that question. You know, like, were they just telling him that, or did he honestly, you know, lose it on that question? Police determined the time of Mackenzie's death would have been between 3 and 3.45 on the day she went missing. There was a lot of evidence that was actually left at the scene, and police collected the duct tape, the knife, a cigarette butt, and material from under Mackenzie's fingernails. Police also swabbed the inside of her car. Even with all this evidence they had left at the scene, after two months, police still did not know who would have killed this bright young woman. Then walks in a woman named Liz Reed, who police actually called a walking contradiction. Liz was a confidential informant for the police and had been doing so for some time, and she had a really long history of past and current drug use. Liz claimed that she knew exactly what had happened to Mackenzie. She claimed that two men she was known to associate with, Sam Cuevas and Emmanuel Saros, and Emmanuel actually went by the nickname Buddha, killed Mackenzie because they actually thought she was part of the drug scene and had mistaken her for a confidential informant. So basically, it was... A mix-up like they killed her thinking she was somebody else which is hmm oh my gosh that's so so awful Liz said that Sam claimed that he choked her to death to quote-unquote shut her up Liz also gave other details including mentioning the crescent bar area and even described the type of knife used in the murder a detail that had not been previously released to the public police felt that having this type of information meant that Liz was really a credible witness But then Liz's story goes even further. She claims that not only did these men confess to killing Mackenzie, which I had never understood why they would have just told her that they killed her, but they actually showed her a video of them killing her. She claims Mm. that it was, yeah, horrific and vile, and she was, of course, very upset at being shown this film. But I could not figure out why somebody, why would somebody show somebody this? It doesn't make a lot of sense to have taped it and then to show somebody this lady. I didn't really get it. Police felt that this was really a strong lead, and they decided to look further into it. But after seven months, they still had not found any evidence of any sort of a snuff film or that the two men had anything to do with Mackenzie's death. They asked Liz again where the tape was, where is this recording? And that's when she told them that, you know what, she was never actually shown a tape of Mackenzie's murder, and she had no idea who murdered Mackenzie. She made the whole thing up. Which, how, I don't... There's another thing I don't understand. This should be the story of I don't understand, which also should be what my life story is. But I don't understand how you go to the police and you give them this information, such horrific details, if you're making it up. Why on earth do you do that? Yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense What at do all. you gain from that? But you know what? It's like, it reminds me of, uh, what's the guy with the John JonBenet Ramsey? Remember when that guy came forward and claimed he had killed John JonBenet Ramsey and he was arrested and... 
or he the, he spoke to the police and then they like talked to his ex-wife who was like he wasn't even in the country when that happened like why do you want to bring that attention on yourself like why do you want to hurt these people again i did i don't get it Liz claimed that she actually made this up later. She claims that she makes this up because she was worried that the police were going to pin this murder on her. She has these details. She can't prove that this happened. She can't prove these guys did it, but she knows all this, so they're going to try and pin it on her. Police, on the other hand, felt that they had wasted the last seven months on a wild goose chase. Police really thought that Liz had just been telling them a big lie and that the men had nothing to do with the crime and they did not investigate them any further. We're going to get back into this story after a quick word from this week's sponsors. Tomorrow, I'll be leaving on a jet plane, and I'm so excited to see my sister and my new baby nephew, but I'm also excited because I get to try out my new Away luggage. Away sent me a beautiful, high-quality suitcase called the Bigger Carry-On, and it's already making my trip easier, and I haven't even left the house with it yet. Away Luggage not only has beautiful suitcases, they took the time to actually talk to real people about problems with their current luggage and then designed luggage that corrected some of these problems, like sticky wheels, which they actually fixed by making luggage that can spin 360 degrees on all four wheels. Away also fixed a more modern problem, which is the dreaded dead cell phone at the airport. They did this by creating luggage that actually has power. With Away Luggage, you can actually charge your phone, tablet, or anything else that's powered by a USB cord on the go. I am a chronic overpacker, so while I was packing, I used the compression system in my Away bag to help find places for all of the extra junk I'm bringing. There's also a TSA-approved combination lock on top of the bag to prevent theft, which is especially great when you're keeping tabs on kids and bags at the airport. Away also offers a 100-day trial where you can use it, live with it, travel with it, and if you still decide that it's not for you, you can return it for a full refund. No questions asked. Away also offers a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they will fix or replace it for you for life. And there's free shipping on any Away order within the lower 48 states. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash moms and use promo code moms during checkout. Again, for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash moms and use promo code moms during checkout. Have you ever written up your meal plan for the week simply by copying and pasting last week's meals again this week? Is that just me? To keep my family from saying spaghetti Again, I really need to get out of the same old recipe rut and to start cooking outside of my comfort zone. And while I'm at it, try some new and delicious recipes. That's why I love HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers fresh, pre-measured ingredients and easy-to-follow six-step pictured recipe cards each week in a special insulated box. I love to cook, but I don't always love picking up special ingredients just for one meal. With HelloFresh, you can get seasonal, simple recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door every week. A few weeks ago, I tried the Juicy Lucy Burger with tomato onion jam. The burger was filled with cheese on a perfect brioche bun and topped with a delicious jam made up of a combination of tomato and onions and served with sweet potato wedges. Both of my kids loved it and cleaned their plates. With HelloFresh, you can choose between classic, veggie, and family plans. And you have the option to switch between those when your taste changes. Mandy and I both chose the family plan, and we have each love the meals and variety we've gotten. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder80 and enter MomsAndMurder80. Again, for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder80 and enter the code MomsAndMurder80. And now, back to the show. So even though the police believed that Liz was fabricating her story and they didn't really believe, you know, that she was being truthful at all, they still had more leads that they could follow. 
They had DNA, and so they began testing what DNA they did have, and the results came back and actually found various different DNA profiles on the items that were taken in as evidence. The duct tape that they had found on Mackenzie had the DNA profile for two different males, and the cigarette butt had an unidentified female DNA on it. The knife handle had three DNA profiles, and two of them were identified as a detective and a lab tech, so... There could have been some possible contamination on this crime scene, which is always really frustrating. And, you know, everybody tries to do their best to keep the scene, you know, as as secure and everything as possible. So I can imagine how frustrating that is, especially in a case like this, when there's already multiple DNA profiles being found. The last thing you want to have to deal with is people that are working the scene accidentally contaminating it. Right. There was also DNA found under Mackenzie's fingernails that belonged to an unidentified male and swabs from her car came back to another unidentified male. But there were no real suspects to match any of this DNA and no other real leads until the police started looking a little bit closer at the last known day of Mackenzie's life. What they noticed in the surveillance video was that 70 seconds after Mackenzie left, another student named Chris Wilson also got into his car and left. Another thing that interested the police was that Chris only lived three blocks from the school and police decided at this point that it was time for them to really dig a little deeper and take a closer look at Chris. Friends and family have described Chris as a bit eccentric and a bit different in a town where everyone was very cookie cutter. Chris had a tattoo of Hannibal Lecter and he had worked at a funeral home, which his family believe the police looked at as being evidence of him being a bad guy. They feel like that's how he sort of stumbled into being a suspect that he just kind of didn't look like everyone in town and, you know, did things a little bit different. And so the police kind of were quick to be like, well, let's look at him. Christopher Wilson was not the typical beauty school student in the small town of Wenatchee, Washington. He was actually much older at 30 years old. He began his education at the academy to learn skills in hope of taking over his mother's salon one day. People that were in contact with Chris said that he had a really deep fascination or obsession with death and serial killers and the TV show Dexter. Chris also allegedly once choked a family friend until she almost passed out, then abruptly stopped and acted like nothing happened. Whoa. Yeah, but you know what? When my sister was in high school, hi, brother-in-law that listens to this show every week, your wife did this. They used to do something in school where they would choke each other and then pass out. Like what? in class. Yes, my sister. <laughs> I am so shocked to hear this information about your sister. I can't share too much because she is not here to defend herself. She does not strike me as the type. <laughs> my sister was very, she was daring. <laughs> daring. Oh my gosh, her whole life has been like that. That's just how she is. She has grown into a wonderful lady who has given me a beautiful niece and nephew, but she made some questionable decisions (laughs) about letting people make her pass out in high school. A student at the Academy of Hair Design told police that Chris actually used to brag about cutting up bodies at a funeral home that he used to work for. Rick Phillips was the owner of one of these funeral homes called Telford's Chapel of the Valley, and he told the Wenatchee World that back in 2004, Wilson worked for him as an embalmer and that he was generally a good employee. And here's a quote from him. It says, but after a few months, some things started to take place and we had to let him go. I started becoming uncomfortable, but he didn't do anything real bad, which is kind of vague. You know, I guess this guy probably doesn't want to get involved too much, but it's like something went wrong, but it wasn't really bad. Like, don't think it was too bad. So in the summer of 2010, the students at the beauty school were interviewed several times. 
Many said that they thought that Chris kind of gave off bad vibes and that he was a little creepy, I guess. So, yeah, so there was actually a lot of this kind of word of mouth, you know, stuff being said about Chris and our researcher, Mary Jane, who helped us on this case. She actually spoke with a source who wanted to remain anonymous, but who went to this school and she's told Mary Jane that she personally steered clear of this guy, Chris. And when she was in the same room with him, she just kind of got the creeps from him. She told a story to Mary Jane about this one particular Halloween at the beauty school where they were having a contest with their mannequin heads. And this girl said that she watched in horror, really, as Chris used a straight razor and he peeled the face off of his mannequin and glued it onto another one. Obviously, that would freak anybody out. So she said she was very freaked out. But there was a lot of other students that just brushed off this behavior of Chris's as kind of morbid curiosity. And just maybe somebody being a little bit weird. I mean, you know, I, you've seen people on the internet do crazy things like put doll faces on different dolls and stuff. That's like a meme or something. I'm sorry. Dwight K. Schrute did this at um, <laughs> on the CPR episode. He cut off the face of the dummy and wore it. But yeah, whenever I read that, I was like, I've seen this actually happen. A lot of this with Chris is he's different. Like he doesn't fit in. I'm not saying that, but I feel like that's what other people were saying, that that he didn't really fit in. And so then I think then anything he does can be perceived as weird. You know what I mean? If you're right. looking, then now you're looking for it because he doesn't really fit in with everybody else. So this weird like love of Dexter, which by the way, when we described that stuff earlier, I'm like, I feel like that almost is everyone I know <laughs> that's interested in true crime and stuff like that. And has a little bit of a morbid curiosity with things. I don't think that's so weird. So the police began to interrogate Chris and asked him what his relationship was with Mackenzie. And he stated that he had absolutely no relationship with her and that they had never even had a conversation. Chris was seemingly cooperative and even willingly provided his DNA to the police for them to test it. When they ran his DNA to compare it to the evidence that was found at the crime scene, they found what they were looking for. Chris's YSTR DNA was a match to the DNA on the duct tape found near Mackenzie's body, and that duct tape also had her blood on it, too. YSTRs are short tandem repeats found on the male-specific Y chromosome, and so these tests are most often used by forensic scientists in sexual assault cases to identify specifically male DNA when mixed with a female DNA, since women are not carriers of YSTR DNA. So before you read that sentence, did you know what that meant? <laughs> I had no idea. I, I just read it, and I still don't have it. <laughs> I know. It, it's a DNA is just so interesting to me that they, they're they not even matching him completely, right? Just certain characteristics are the same in this sort of STR DNA. So YSTR DNA is also used in non-sexual assault cases where mixed samples are collected from the evidence. Sometimes regular STR will cause the masking effect if there is a very small quantity of male DNA in the mixed sample. So performing a YSTR test can help identify all the males who have contributed to the evidence, if that makes sense. So whenever you have all this mixed DNA, it helps narrow down, I guess, who who they're looking for, really. Although the DNA wasn't completely conclusive, the lab determined that the DNA could belong to Chris Wilson. Investigators stepped up their questioning of Chris and grilled him about Crescent Bar, which was the location that Mackenzie's body had been found. 
Chris claimed that he had never even been there. So police asked him how exactly his DNA would have gotten there if he had never been there. And it was at that moment that Chris clammed up. He stopped talking and he asked for a lawyer. And then the police placed Chris under arrest for the murder of McKenzie. Police obtained a search warrant and began their search of Chris's apartment. As they sprayed the luminol solution to detect blood, they found a patch of what looked to them to be a blood stain on the carpet. And they pulled up the carpet and found an even more substantial stain on the pad underneath. Tests would conclusively determine that the blood was that of Mackenzie Cowell. While police were there, they also found a videotape, which appeared to be Chris documenting the condition of the apartment for a security deposit. And he commented in this video about how clean the apartment was. And at that point, the camera zoomed in on the exact spot that the police believe was where Mackenzie's blood was found. And then a woman who was off the screen in the video could be heard talking and saying, clean for what happened or clean considering. And Chris was saying, yeah, it's clean considering. So this woman was actually identified as being a woman named Tessa Schuleman. So here's the thing with that tape. If you watch it, I watched the video of it. It's her videotaping the apartment and kind of going room to room, just like as you do whenever you're leaving your apartment and you're looking to get your security deposit. But they just stay in this room for a minute. And he's like, so do you think it's clean? She's like, I mean, clean for what happened? Like, yeah, clean considering. Like, it's the most oddly worded thing. If nothing truly happened in there that you're covering up, it's really weird to say that. Because for anything else, you'd be like, clean considering there was a party in here? Yeah, it's clean considering somebody spilled wine over there. But to never say what that thing is, it it does kind of like throw you off where you're like, oh, wow, yeah, something happened that you – are implying, but you're not even going to touch. So Chris and Tessa both said that they were documenting the apartment after the carpet was damaged during a party, as you just said, and then they didn't say anything more. So if Mackenzie wasn't killed there, then how did so much of Mackenzie's blood get into the apartment? So Tessa was also arrested on suspicion of helping Chris cover up this murder. A boyfriend of Tessa's that the police spoke with claimed that Tessa called him the night of Mackenzie's murder and claimed that something bad had happened. And he told the police that she was acting extremely strange that night that he that he spoke to her. Police thought that maybe Tessa's DNA would be a match to the only female DNA found at the crime scene, which was on the cigarette butt other than Mackenzie's. But ultimately, it was not a match and she was never charged with anything related to Mackenzie's murder. And we're going to get into the end of the story after one last break for a word from this week's sponsors. Is there any better feeling than walking into a store and picking up something you really love and leaving feeling elated that you've not only gotten something of amazing quality, but at an amazing cost? That's exactly the feeling you will have when you shop for watches and accessories at Movement. Movement watches start at just $95, so you're guaranteed to find something you really love without breaking the bank. Movement also has sunglasses and a growing jewelry collection, so they have all of your accessory needs covered. Accessories are the perfect gift for yourself or someone you love. They're an easy and quick way to dress up any outfit and pretend that you're put together even when your kids are killing you very, very slowly. Movement sent us both really beautiful watches. For my watch, I chose the beautiful Jaded Rose Style from the Bloom series. 
I loved the circular white face and the two-tone stainless steel band, and also that it had markings for each number on a clock so I don't have to spend five minutes figuring out what time it is. I chose the gorgeous Ghost Iris watch, also from the Bloom Collection, and I'm not much of a jewelry person, but I find myself putting on my watch every day. The leather band is beautiful and comfortable, and I get compliments on it each time I wear it. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash moms. See why movement keeps growing. Check out their expanding collection and go to mvmt.com slash moms. Join the movement. The 2019 FabFitFun Summer Box is now on presale. Treat yourself with tons of cool products like the Summer and Rose Navy Diamond Tote that I have my eye on. I have my other eye on the light and summery spiritual gangster Maya Kimono. FabFitFun makes mail time fun time, and it's especially fun because your box is personal to you. You can customize your box by choosing certain products and add-ons within each box, or if you are one of those people that likes to be surprised, FabFitFun can do that too. I am a bit of a sunglasses snob, and I am obsessed with my Diff Cruise Aviator glasses I got in my post-spring 2019 box, valued at twice the cost of the actual box. I love trying new and fun products, and FabFitFun makes it really easy for me. There's nothing worse than finding a new product you love than realizing it was a one-time sample and now you're out of luck. But that doesn't happen because with FabFitFun, you get full-size products every time. Like the incredible Murid Renewing Eye Cream I received in my last box. Not that I need an eye cream, I'm practically a teenager, but if I did, this works really great. Sign up for FabFitFun today. These boxes always sell out. Use our code MOMS and get $10 off your first box. Go to fabfitfun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use promo code MOMS to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only $39.99. Go to fabfitfun.com and use our code MOMS to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box today. And now back to the episode. So Tessa has been really just taken out of the equation. They don't believe she had anything to do with covering up Mackenzie's murder. And police theorize at this point that Chris must have lured Mackenzie to his apartment and killed her there. They believe the reason there isn't blood other places in the apartment for such a gruesome murder was that he took notes from the show Dexter and possibly used plastic sheets and curtains to keep the blood from being everywhere in the apartment. In regards to a motive, the police believe that Chris murdered Mackenzie solely because he had a morbid curiosity and fascination with death. Chris was the only suspect police had now, and since Mackenzie's blood was found in his apartment, the case building against him was getting more and more solid. Eight months after Mackenzie's murder, Chris stood up in court and pled not guilty to the murder of Mackenzie Cowell. But there was a huge problem with the police's case. Chris's mom, Kathleen Zorn, was not only a huge advocate for him, but she was also his alibi. She claimed at the time of McKinsey's murder, Chris was with her, picking up cupcakes and acting totally normal. Remember, he left the school just 70 seconds after McKinsey did. And she fully believes in her son's innocence. Zorn's hired John Henry Brown to defend Chris in his murder trial. Those of you that are pretty immersed in the true crime world may recognize that name as the attorney that represented Ted Bundy back in the 70s, or the attorney for Colton Harris, who goes by the Barefoot Bandit, just a few years ago. So this guy has gotten high-profile cases, really big cases, and he's like who you go to. The defense were ready for trial, and they had a strategy in this case that was actually pretty strong. Their strategy was to point the finger at police corruption contamination of evidence that we talked about before, and they even alleged that the police somehow planted Mackenzie's blood in Chris's apartment. This felt very making a murder to me. Like, you're accusing them of really serious corruption if you're saying they would have put her blood there. That's like basically what they're saying had to have been done. 
Yeah. So part of the reason that the defense believed there could have been some police corruption was because back in the 90s, there were actually dozens of people in Washington that were charged and convicted of child molestation. Many were wrongfully convicted, and it was John Henry Brown that successfully got convictions overturned or cases dropped altogether in what he called the Wenatchee Witch Hunt. Brown stated, because of his past experience with Wenatchee police, quote, they do things like that, referring to the police allegedly planting evidence. Interestingly enough, the same defense attorney, which is attorney Brown, and the prosecutor for this case from the 70s are the same two that were going against each other in court for Chris's trial, which I thought was kind of interesting. There's obviously bad blood between those two, you know, for this conviction and then overturning and all that stuff. So Chris's mom definitely believed that there was a conspiracy against her son. And she said that, quote, he didn't fit in the Wenatchee norm. If he would have been in a big city in Seattle, New York or Portland, he would have been a non-event. So remember the CI Liz from earlier in the story? Well, the defense now had her back in the case as their star witness. And she again changed her story and said that the two drug dealers did kill Mackenzie and that the videotape of the murder did in fact exist. She claimed this time that Samuel Cuevas and Emmanuel Saros killed Mackenzie on a secluded bluff. Liz said after the murder, the men demanded that she go to the scene and find a ring that Mackenzie had been wearing that fell off at the time of the murder. Chris's attorney said that the ring Liz showed them matched a ring that Mackenzie was wearing in a picture. Yeah, so this ring I saw, like they show her taking a selfie, not like with a smartphone like we have now, but you know, in the mirror with a regular old camera. And you can see this ring, it kind of had like two circles on it or something. So it's it's not a normal looking ring to me, like not like a diamond or something like that. It was a little bit different. And so when they show the ring that Liz found, it does kind of look like what Mackenzie was wearing. It's only in this one photo. So the detectives claim that they took the ring from Liz and personally showed it to Mackenzie's boyfriend, Joaquin, and to her father, Reed, and to her mother, Wendy. And none of them said that they recognized this ring as belonging to Mackenzie. So again, Cuevas and Saros denied any involvement in the murder or even knowing Mackenzie and had already been cleared earlier in the investigation. And they said that Liz Reed was a liar and that she liked to take down innocent people. Before the trial, a plea deal was offered to Chris in return for pleading guilty to manslaughter, and he would serve just six and a half years if he were to do that. But Chris turned down that plea deal and said that he would not plead guilty to something that he didn't do. His attorney even said that if he was innocent, he would have taken the deal. Yeah, I mean, the attorney knows there's a lot of evidence against him. Yeah, the attorney's even like, no, if I got that kind of deal, because that's a really good deal for manslaughter murder or whatever like if the yeah if the police have all this evidence if they have blood in the house that they can prove was hers for them to just go for six and a half years seems like nothing compared to what he allegedly did right so the trial was actually ready to start and jury selection had begun and, and there was this pre-jury poll and at that time 80 to 85 percent of those asked in this jury poll believed that they would find Chris Wilson guilty of McKenzie's murder. So this is before trial even begins. So upon learning this information at the 11th hour, just before the trial was actually set to begin, Chris's attorney spoke to the prosecution and a new plea deal was offered. In this one, Chris had to provide a written statement that he had kidnapped, strangled, and stabbed McKenzie, and then he would receive 14 years in prison. This time, Chris accepted the deal. 
Investigators and prosecutors wish he had gotten a much longer sentence, but the burden of proof was going to be difficult even with the evidence they had against him. They had blood in the apartment that we talked about, but they couldn't prove that he was the one that put it there. There was also DNA profiles, especially the DNA under her fingernails at the crime scene, that could not be identified, and the knife was never linked to Chris Wilson. A little less than a year after taking the plea deal, Chris filed to withdraw his guilty plea, saying it was not given voluntarily and he didn't fully understand the consequences. The motion was denied and its earliest release date is now set at August of 2023. Chris's mother maintains her son's innocence. However, McKinsey's family and all that were involved in the investigation and many people of the town of Wenatchee are confident the killer is behind bars. The police consider this case closed. So this is a really crazy thing to me. This plea deal was so little. It just makes me think that the police weren't even very confident with their case. Having all this extra DNA there that they can't pinpoint to him, where did it come from? I don't know. I can see where they thought giving him a plea deal was going to be the best way to have him get any time. But right, man, and this Liz thing makes it so much more complicated because a lot of times even with these you know, informants and stuff, having them back down on their story, like lying and stuff like that, you wouldn't want them as a witness. But having her as a witness really does, you know, would have if they went to trial, could have really screwed up the police's case because she did have a lot of information that she shouldn't have known if she had never seen I just this don't, tape. that whole thing is just so bizarre to so me weird. with her, with the information that she had. And then, but like, it wasn't really... She really wasn't credible. I don't know about I don't know about that. I have thoughts on Liz. I th- I wonder what would have happened really if it went to trial, you know, because you do she does seem to know a lot. And so I wonder how that would have worked out in the trial. And obviously Chris does too because now he wishes he had not taken this plea deal. But this was an interesting one to me cuz there were just nothing seemed super definitive as far as the extra DNA, having all this extra DNA at the crime scene under her fingernails and stuff like that. You don't really get that a lot where it's like, well, you can't even link it to this guy. It's probable that it was his, but they couldn't beyond a shadow of a doubt link it to him. So I think his defense definitely felt like they had a pretty strong case, but those things are never a hundred percent. So I guess that's where plea deals come from. I've talked into a circle. Welcome to me talking to in a circle. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) So before we go and do our last thing, before we go, we wanted to say a quick thank you to you guys for being so patient. I know we have ads that we're playing in the middle of the shows and we really try to make them as fun and interesting and you know, easy to listen to as possible. And we're so thankful for having ads. We're so thankful for you for listening so we can even get ads. And it's very, very helpful to us and our families. So I want to say a huge thank you. Mandy, thanks you as well. Yes, I do. Absolutely. (laughs) I do thank everybody for listening and sitting through the ads. I know sometimes it's a little frustrating when you're listening to a story and you have to take a break to listen to an ad, but we do pick, we do try to keep it to things that we think our audience will like. So you know, we're not just, we're trying not to just bombard you with a bunch of garbage nonsense. So thank you guys for sticking in there. As Melissa said, it really is such a big help to us and to our families. And 
we love you guys yeah. for, for listening. We appreciate <laughs> it. And we know it's long. So if you if you aren't on Patreon, this isn't actually me trying to plug Patreon, but here's a spot I can tell you about it. If you really hate the ads and you want a different way to support us, you can do that at patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. We have different levels in there and we do ad free early releases a few days before. So if the ads aren't your thing, that's okay. You can listen to it on Patreon. And thank you for those who support the our sponsors. Like it's pretty amazing whenever a sponsor comes to us and says, your listeners really, you know, liked this product or whatever, and they want to come back and sponsor you again. So it's really nice. Like there's no way to say this that doesn't sound kind of weird, but it's, we really appreciate it. We never saw this coming. And so we're just really, really thankful and hashtag blessed. So yeah, yeah, no, we're not trying, we're not trying to be weird about it, but we've gotten a few comments lately. You know, and and we're trying now to maybe shorten the ads a little bit, but I put too many jokes in there sometimes, and so yeah. I'm having to cut them out. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so we're working on it. So hang in there, stick with us, and we'll get this right one day, hopefully. <laughs> okay, listen, that's a little hurtful. <laughs> I'm really trying. This is like my entire life. I can't make everyone happy, and I still haven't figured it out. In 35 years, like you're just not going to make everyone happy, Melissa. But I will die trying. What is that 50 cent get rich or die trying? Well, I'm not getting rich, but (laughs) I just will die trying. No matter what I do, I'm just going to die trying. Okay. Last thing before we go, Mandy, Tanya P, which my brother-in-law makes fun of me that I say people's first names and first initial or their first name and just the initial. So I like to just keep doing it. Tanya P asked from our Facebook group, what is the worst place someone can take you to? Oh, 100% the worst place you can take me to is a kid's birthday party of a kid I don't care about. Meaning like (laughs) a kid in my daughter's class that I don't know. Like we're having to do that on Saturday, by the way, which is why I'm like really irritated. I don't want to go to somebody's kid's party. I'm sure it's lovely, but let me drop my kid (laughs) off. Like at a certain age, like put on the invitation like, hey, you can drop your kid off for two hours. I will drop my kid off. I will sit in the parking lot or I'll sit in the um, in the driveway for two hours. That's not weird. But don't make me talk to you. I don't want to talk to you. You don't want to talk to me. It's not your best day when you're throwing your kid a party. You're stressed out. You don't want to talk to me. Let's not make small talk. Let's not do this to either of us. Please don't ever bring me to – my poor daughter is never going to be invited to anything. <laughs> but just write <laughs> on the invite, like, drop off. Add that. I will come to every party you have. And drop my daughter off. But please, please <laughs> don't leave it open-ended that I have to show up to. And my gosh, on Mother's Day weekend, lovely people. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I feel like I'm being too specific, but I've never even spoken to this mom. Actually, we've kind of looked at each other kind of weird before. Um, so I feel like there's like bad blood on accident. <laughs> and so now I'm like, I'm like red and anxious about this. <laughs> Oh my god! I asked my husband if he would bring bring her, and he's like, "No, you've met her." I'm like, "Well, technically, I haven't met her, so now I have to order a birthday present." It's like a whole thing, and my daughter's so excited. (laughs) Just don't let me go. So anyway, that is hell for me. Go ahead, Mandy. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I hate kids' birthday parties. I totally agree with that. They're just very rarely like any fun for the parents. So they're never fun for the parents. If it's your friend, like I like, I like going to your kids' birthday parties and stuff because I care about you and I care about your kids. But mm -mm, none of this classroom. (laughs) I feel like you're just trying to like save your face right now. No. Also, also, you know, I don't throw my kids' birthday parties. I know. Well, you did throw one one time that was fun. 
I mean, you throw in a couple, but there I was did. one that was really fun. Yeah. I don't throw my kids parties ever. Yeah, I really don't. We'll just usually do like a family gathering or something, but yeah. I don't, I don't subject my friends and family to a child's birthday party. That one that you came to, the circus themed one where yeah. I had like a whole, I had like a. Mandy was very extra. <laughs> there was like a cotton candy machine and my kid like ate hay for no reason at all. <laughs> and my sister dressed up as a clown and did balloon oh, animals. Yeah. It was so great though. It was so good. That was my, that was my little boy, my little guy's first birthday. So that was like six years ago. I haven't had a party yeah. since then. So anyway, so, okay. Worst place you could take me. I know some people are going to be really upset about this, especially the ones who live in areas where this is like a really, really fun thing to do. Camping. Don't take <gasps> me camping. I love camping. Oh my gosh. I hate it. I mean, I guess maybe it's all right at certain times of the year, but yes, certain I, times of the year don't want to go camping. I am so awful outside. I'm not an outdoor. I love being outdoors. Okay. I like going to the beach. I like being like things like that. Just the beach. That's the only outdoor <laughs> thing. That you I literally can't name a second thing that I like to no, do. No, I know. <laughs> and comma and there's nothing. That's literally it. So I, I mean, you should see me around bugs. Okay. I, everybody has a blast watching me flail my arms all over the place. And even if I think I see a bug or hear a bug near my ears or anything, I'm getting like, I'm breaking out into a cold sweat, just thinking about bugs flying around me. I've witnessed this and it's torturous because it <laughs> freaks out other people in my family, my son, uh, whenever you flail your arms around and scream, I'm dying. I'm dying. Oh my gosh, we're dying. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but your tone Makes me think that's what you believe. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I don't like to go camping. It's just hot. It's humid here in Florida. I don't like sleeping with no AC. <sighs> I don't like not eating real food. And sorry, but hot dogs are not real food. And I don't like hot dogs. And I just don't like any of the experience. I don't want to have to get up and walk to a bathroom. <laughs> that is like an unfortunate thing for sure. <laughs> I just don't want to do any of it. I don't like it. I'm not into it. Don't take me camping. Oh, man. It's fun. I think you would, wouldn't mind it so much in like the fall or like Florida winter, really. It's nice because it's cool outside. It is a little scary because there's always bears around and you can hear things moving around and you're like, is that a murder or is that a bear? Let's hope it's a murder. So I do get that. But as a kid, like I didn't know people stayed in hotels. And so we everywhere we went, we just went camping. And so as an adult, I was like, oh, people just like stay indoors. <laughs> That's a thing people do. It was very weird for me. Yeah. So I definitely understand that. And also, if you throw your kids birthday parties, that is wonderful. That's great. But at a certain age, please just say you can drop them off. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not saying birthday parties are terrible. I'm just saying Melissa's just here for the free babysitting. A hundred percent. But I'm not even going to leave my kid because I don't know you. So I don't trust you. So I'm not even going to leave my kid. I just want to sit in my car and and like veg out. That's all I want to do. Just let me do that. Next question. Because <laughs> that was very, very crazy. Okay, next question. If someone wrote a book about your life, what would they title it? And this is by Andrea J in our Facebook group. I don't know. I don't have any good ideas. And, and my life's not that interesting. So it would just be like the life and death of a very boring person. Wow, um, that sounds <laughs> upsetting. <laughs> and I wouldn't read it, but if there was an audiobook, I'd probably listen to it. <laughs> so, Mandy, I have one for you. Okay. Would you like to know the title I think of for you? Yeah. I was very excited to write this down. Mandy's book would be called Did Someone Say Chickens? 
The story of a woman with a deep love of animals and the people who fought to keep her from going full <laughs> animal hoarder. Because <laughs> really, your husband's plight in making you not an animal hoarder and mine by like association, we should be represented in your <laughs> in your autobiography. <laughs> oh, God. All right. And the one I had for myself, I'll be quick, is, okay, but you have to watch this show. The story of a woman. (laughs) The story of a woman who constantly bombarded everyone she loved with her television recommendations and died while saying, but Arrested Development has chickens. (laughs) (laughs) So those are definitely, I feel like I nailed those. I think those are pretty good, good biographies mandy no i totally agree i think you have a knack for writing biography titles oh my gosh that is not a talent i have but um i can really make our exciting lives sound even less exciting (laughs) (laughs) all right let's close this out this has just gone on far too long and way too weird (laughs) okay guys hope you guys have a great week and we will see you next week Bye. bye thanks so much for listening to the moms of murder podcast Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.